Let's all stand and we'll open up in prayer and we'll get into uh, God's word uh, this morning. And so, Lord, these things that we've laid before you, um, our sister Melba, um, Brother Billy, uh, Ram and his family, and even the, I forgot, uh, Velvet, (laughs) Velvet Buckley, and and, and her mom uh, passing away as well, just recently, all this week, in the last couple of days. And also, uh, just for, for Taylor and, and Michelle, and just the craziness of their situation right now. And God, we pray your peace be with them. We pray your, your hand of comfort be with those who, are, who have found themselves just all of a sudden having all these decisions to make and looking up paperwork and documents and putting things together. And uh, Father, these are the times when we lean on you and we need you perhaps more than ever. And Thanking you for all things and uh, that you're the God of all comfort who comforts us in our times of great difficulty. Would you be uh, present in a powerful way with those that are in need? And I'm, we're not asking something, Lord, that, you, that, that is not uh, foreign to your character. It's who you are. It's what you do. Lord, bring comfort to these family members who are grieving. We ask your grace. We ask your mercy. We ask your strength. Um, uh, on these family members and, and, uh, and upon our church body, upon our nation, oh God, that, is, that, that desperately needs you. Uh, we, we always have. And we cry out to you this morning, God, and say, Lord Jesus, be glorified. Jesus, be lifted up. Be lifted up in every circumstance and every situation. Because you said if you would li- be lifted up, you would draw all men to you, oh God. And so we lift you up this morning and we look forward to what you have in your word. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. All right, give someone an air high five if they're family. You can love on them. If not, give them a point, a, point, a shout out, whatever it might be. I know we love, we're a hugging church and it's like hard. We're on a hugging timeout, so to speak. Um, forgotten. Lonely abused, um, no self-value, no self-esteem. Only, the only value that you have is, is a misconstrued value from people who just want to use you and abuse you. And uh, the idea of love is twisted uh, it, 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 gets, it gets so pushed down that maybe you're not even really sure what love is. Uh, maybe you've experienced it as a child. Maybe you didn't. Maybe uh, it was a result of your own decisions where you find yourself in, in, this, in, this, in this cave of loneliness. And in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the dark of night or in the early mornings, you... You, you, you cry and you weep because your heart is shattered and broken in a million pieces. There's no help for you. There's no repair. There's no way that it's ever going to be any different than what it already is. I heard someone years ago talk about, uh, we were, when I was in youth ministry, I, 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 I preached a lot about, about um, uh, sexual immorality and and the, the cost and the consequences, um, the uh, uh, 
the value that we have in Christ Jesus and, and, and encourage kids so much to, to, to save themselves for marriage. And, and I heard an illustration one time of a, um, um, uh, uh, Miles McPherson, a, a, a pastor and evangelist in San Diego, who was speaking to a group of teenagers, and he took a rose and, and he passed it around. And he said, I want every one of you to take one petal off of that rose just one, and then pass it on to the next person. And then at the end, just give it back to me. And so his illustration was every time that, that you have uh, a sexual encounter outside of marriage, the covenant of marriage, it's like, it's like a, a piece of your heart gets, ripped, gets torn away and then another piece, and then another piece until you come to a place where you're just a stem or shell because your self-value has been stripped and, and you, 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 you maybe started off just desiring love and, 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 and you did not find it. Um, <clears throat> what do uh, uh, John Ponder and Richard Beasley have in common? Um, if you've been paying attention to the news lately, or not just lately, because we are local Las Vegans, you might know the story of John Ponder. Uh, he is with a ministry in town called Hope for Prisoners that has been nationally recognized for prison reform. Uh, these, what he does is, is he, he, he takes uh, folks who are out of the prison system, uh, sends them through a program with business leaders, law enforcement, and he, uh, at his graduation services, he'll talk about those in law enforcement as our friends. And every time he says it, all the in all the for, uh, the uh, uh, former inmates—I don't want to say ex-cons—I don't really like that term. <laughs> all the former inmates say our friends, and they have these graduation ceremonies, and there's all these amazing people who are speaking encouragement into the lives of these people. And you may know that, um, that uh, it was earlier this year, I believe, might have been last year, that uh, President Trump had him uh, at the Rose Garden. And he was honoring him for his work with uh, prisoners here in Las Vegas. It is one of the most, if not the most, effective prison reform uh, ministries, because that's what it is. <laughs> let's, let's just call it what it is. This is not a, uh, 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 just an organization. It is a, it is a ministry that is reaching men and women and changing the destiny of literally thousands. And so they were honored at the Rose Garden. And at this ce- celebration, uh, when uh, President Trump uh, had John Ponder, there was another man standing over. And that, was, that was Richard Beasley. And um, if you know the story, maybe you don't, I just want to, uh, it, it, it ties into where we're going this, this, uh, this morning. Uh, Richard Beasley was the FBI officer that arrested uh, John Ponder. He was, uh, uh, I think, uh, uh, he was facing serious charges, up to 20 years in prison for armed robbery. He, he had, uh, this was his third brush with the law, actually more than that. Uh, he was looking at upwards of 20 years in prison and uh, while he was in, uh, in, the, in the jail, he, he, he prayed to God, one of those 
Oh, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll do whatever you, I don't know if, now, I don't know, I'm pretty sure nobody here has prayed that prayer or try to make a deal with God. Next service, I'm going to get all kind of amens and oh, yeah, and oh, yeah. You might be watching online going, is he trying to talk about us? I'm not, I'm not talking about Hope House in general, but I'm just saying that you may have made this, you know, there are there, Oh, there's a couple here. I'm shocked. I was expecting more next service, but the early birds are amen and in. I got a brother in the back who's got his hand up pointing at himself and, you know, made one of, one of, the, one of those deals with God where, oh, God, if you get, he says one of those prayers. He's like in jail going, look, God, I'm going to get locked down for 25 years. If you get me out of this, I'll serve you the rest of my life somehow. I don't even know how, but I will. So he goes to get sentenced before the judge, and the judge, he said this. He said, the judge looked back and said, I don't even know why I'm doing this, but I'm not going to give you the max sentence. (laughs) He gave a reduced sentence in John Ponder's life. Oh, no. And so Richard Beasley is the arresting FBI officer who has the duty of taking him to prison. And, and, And so he... This is what he said about John Ponder just recently. He said, when I met John 15 years ago, he was angry, scared, frustrated, and anxious about his future. On the drive to prison, I stopped at a convenience store and bought John a coffee coffee and a donut. After he was sentenced, John sent me a necktie and a note thanking me for treating him like a gentleman. Fast forward to the time where John's about to get out of prison because he ends up giving his life to Christ because the Lord says, hey, don't forget your promise. He's like, you got me, God. And he spends the time that he was in prison, uh, you know, not just rehabilitating his body and his mind, but his spirit. And uh, God touches him and he and he gets in touch. And before he leaves prison, there's a knock on the door. and he, He's not sure who it is. And it's Richard Beasley saying, God's got a plan and a purpose for your life, man. I'm here for you. So he gets out of prison and he calls him. He says, hey, I got an idea. I mean, you know, you're law enforcement. You actually care. You know, all police turns out aren't, aren't what I had. Because he talked in his own testimony that he just thought all cops were super bad people. And he said, I spent my whole life running from them. Um, and he says, well, let me help you. And, and hope for prisoners was, was birthed out of that. And I say all of that to say this, sometimes God's redemption shows up where you least expect it. Only God could put that together. A man living in Las Vegas ministering to prisoners at the White House, getting national recognition with the, arrest, with the President of the United States and the arresting officer right next to him. <laughs> oh, come on. You can't make this stuff up. Not to mention, if you watched any of the Republican National Convention, that uh, 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 John Ponder was there with Richard Beasley, and President Trump gave him a full pardon. And he said, I can't. Yay, there it is right there. Thank you. And he said, I can't wait to vote. I mean, just, can you, you know, because he's, he's an ex-felon. He's not going to ever vote. He gets a full pardon. Man, it, every time I hear about this, I just can't help but smile. Um, I don't know John very well, but I know him. 
And, you know, he has been consistent from the first time I've met him. He has been focused on one thing. And so uh, sometimes God's redemption shows up in a place where you least expect it. Now, how many of you would point to yourself and say, yeah, yeah, like me? Because I know some of you. I know some of you guys' stories, right? And I know that some of you were voted in high school most unlikely person to become a Christian, right? Did anybody get that designation? Like when, when you told people that you were going to church and you told people you were a follower of Jesus, they're like, what? <laughs> what? Is, what? You go, you're going to church? Oh my gosh, is the roof still attached to the church you go to? Man, what kind of church do you go to? The church or the nightclub or Saturday night, whatever, blah? No. Now, some people, you know that story. And then there are other people who said, oh, yeah, okay, now you try in Jesus. Let's see how long that lasts, <laughs> right? And you're here today, and you're still going strong. And those people, man, they might shake their head and go, we never thought you were serious, man. We but you know what? Your testimony cannot be denied. Can you say amen to that? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, if you want to turn, turn, <clears throat> turn there in your Bibles, there's this, <clears throat> there's this, this um, uh, 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 attribute of God that's called divine concurrence. Everybody say divine concurrence. And in and, and Hebrews chapter 1, verse, and we'll see this all throughout the book of Joshua, and we'll see it in our own lives as well, and we have seen it. Um, it says in Hebrews 1, 3, uh, He is, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I'm getting something that says, at the tone, please record your message. And at the, anyway. (laughs) That is not my phone. I purpose, anyway. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. It's an, it's an aspect of the sovereignty and the, and the providence of God called divine concurrence. And it means that the, that the Lord is working in and through his creation and his creatures to bring about what he has planned in eternity past. God is working and he's behind the scenes arranging and bringing together circumstances and situations in my life to where you think there is no conceivable way this could have happened other than God did it. Can you say amen to that? You've seen that and experienced it in your own life. That's God working and God working through me. God working and God working through me and divinely arranging circumstances. Uh, Fast forward to Luke chapter 10, and Jesus sends out 72 by 2 when he says, Go and announce the kingdom of God has come. And he says, As you enter a house, uh, make a pronouncement. And the pronouncement is, Peace be with you. Make, make this pronouncement. And if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. And that's a missionary pattern for today. I have one particular friend who, as he began his ministry in India, uh, he would take short-term trips into various cities. And when he went, he would, he would tell us, pray for me. I'm going to this city. Pray for a man of peace. What does that mean? That means in the providence of God, he supernaturally arranges a situation where you meet with somebody, where you, you come to a city where you know nobody, and you're praying, God, where's the man of peace? 
Where's the person who might even open up their home for me and say, hey, yeah, you can come stay here. And, and, and maybe even they're followers of Jesus. And maybe it's like someone who says, hey, I've been praying for someone to come to us. You know, God has the ability to do that all the time. And I'm going to tie my shoe before I fall over because that would be, I'm not trying to go viral. Anyway, <clears throat> it's, it's the man of peace. But in this case, in, in Judges Joshua chapter 2, we're going to read about a woman of peace. Her name is Rahab. And her, the first two letters of her name, Ra, is, a, is she's named after the Egyptian sun god. R-A, Ra. Um, she's a Amorite, a Canaanite. Her people are, are idol worshipers. Uh, to the nth degree. And she, her name means insolence or fierceness. But it could also mean broad and spacious. And I, I, I like those definitions and you'll see why in a moment. And so Joshua is, is plotting and planning to go into the promised land. And you remember the last time this happened, Moses said, send out 12 spies into the land. And you remember they came back and they said, there's no way, we can't do it. And that spread to all the people and they end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Right? You know that story. We, we, we've talked about it. So now Joshua sends two spies. <laughs> and, uh, we're just going to send two. And, and, and they go into the, into the in, they, they make their way into the city of Jericho and they end up, at the house of a prostitute. Now that Hebrew word could also mean, mean in. That's my watch. I am not satisfied. You've reached the maximum time of the recording for you. I'm not recording. They end up at the house of a prostitute. The Hebrew word means prostitute, innkeeper, not in the sense of a, thank you, honey, not in the sense of a, um, a temple prostitute, because whenever you have idolatry, you have sexual immorality, not in that context. However, in the New Testament, she's mentioned a couple of times. And the, and the Greek language is very clear. She's not an innkeeper. She's a prostitute. Why do they go there? Strategically, her house is on the, on the wall, on the outside of the city. She's an outcast anyway. But she's popular. There are a lot of men that come through her home. It would be very easy to slip in and slip out and be unnoticed. But in this particular case, these two spies who end up at Rahab's house, they get noticed. Word gets back to the king that there are spies who are spying out the land. Apparently, somehow, maybe there were some pictures taken of them and it ended up on social media and... It went viral all throughout Jericho. 
And so the king sends word back to Rahab and says, Hand him over. Hand him over. And she lies. <laughs> she lies. Did I mention she was a prostitute? Did, did I mention that? She lies. She goes, oh, whoa, whoa, yeah, so what had happened was, see, see, yeah, they came, yeah, they came, but I don't know where they was from, I don't know where they was going, but, <clears throat> you know, I, so, but here's the thing, if they left, and if you, if you hurry up and go this way, then, then, you know, you might catch them, but, I, you know, I mean, they just two, two men, I don't know, I don't know nothing, you know how it is, right, two guys show up, you know, blah, blah, blah. Who, knows, who knows what, she lies, she lies. Uh, because what she does is um, she, she hides them up in her roof, uh, uh, a multi-layered roof with, with uh, 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 flax. I forget exactly what the, uh, the, the, the roof was, but it was, it was layered, and she could hide them up there. Think of an attic, although not exactly that. So she hides them up there and tells this, you know, yeah, they go, man. Go that way. Hurry! You might catch them. Go! What are you doing? Get out of here! And they go. And, and she lies. Now, some people have, like, significant issue because, you know, she becomes a pretty famous woman in the Bible. But first, she's a prostitute. And second, she lies. And that's not okay. And nowhere does God justify her lying, by the way. I once asked a friend who smuggled Bibles into China. We had this conversation. Because, you know, you, then the teenagers ask these questions. Like, is it ever okay to lie? Here we go. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about when you intentionally lie. <laughs> and so I said, my friend, he smuggles Bibles into China. And this was years ago. And I said, okay, so you're at the border. You got your bags. And the guy says, do you have Bibles in that bag? I go, how would you answer that? Would you lie? <laughs> I thought, why not, right? So I asked my other friend. You guys know Jimmy Stewart, my missionary friend. I asked him that same question. He goes, well, that actually happened to me once. I go, no way. I go, yes. He goes, oh, yeah, man. I got like, you know, 20 by 25 Bibles right there, and we're going to this remote place. And, and uh, <clears throat> they asked me if I have Bibles in my bag. I go, what did you say? And he said, well, I said, baseball. Do you love baseball? Have you ever seen baseball in America? It's an Amer And he goes on and on. They're like, you crazy American. Take your bag and go. <laughs> um. Sports. David Guzik, pastor, says this, and, and, and uh, expositor says, Rahab's lie is not justified, but it does show courage. Consider that she was a pagan sinner in a city and culture wholly given over to the worship of false gods and immorality with no previous contact with the word of God or the things of God. Then he says this, what's your excuse? Joshua chapter 2, verse 8 through 13, it says, Now therefore, they, uh, now before they lay down, the spies, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know 
that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us. Everybody say terror. And that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Verse 10 says this, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Shihon and uh, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. We talked about that last week. Remember the two and a half tribes that chose to stay on the other side of the, of the river? Guess what? That wasn't too long ago, and, the, and that word already got to Jericho. News travels fast in the ancient world when an, when an invading army is on their way. Verse 11 says, And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and earth beneath. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will show kindness to my father's house. Uh, Give me a token and spare my father, mother, brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. Genesis chapter 35, uh, verse 5, says this about Jacob and his entourage, his family. It says, as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Sometimes God drops divine terror on the enemies of his people. You read about it often in the Word of God. I think it's absolutely amazing. God Plates this places this fear, and it's beyond that, in the hearts of the enemies of God. Sometimes I pray for that. God, I, I drop your terror on people that they may come to you, that they may come to you. Because whatever it takes, right? Whatever it takes. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? Um, She says this, everyone is afraid of you. We are living in terror. Verse 10 says this, for we have heard, this is the New Living Translation, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know that What you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings on the east of the river, whose people you completely destroyed. Notice what she says. No, we heard, we heard, that was 40 years ago. And, oh no, we heard about what happened when when the Lord dried up the Red Sea and and drowned the army. No, we we heard that. Um, uh, Here's the thing. Remember the spies crossed into the land and came back fearful and said there's no way. They did not know that God was already working even back then. These people had total fear, but the children of Israel didn't know it. 
Joshua and Caleb were right. If only the people would have believed them. Numbers chapter 14, verse 9, this is what he says. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And he was right. He did not know that the terror of God was already working on the enemies of God. But he had faith and he had courage. And he said, God has given us the land. What they feared was not a reality, but they didn't know it because they couldn't see it. I wrote this down. Fear distorts my vision. It causes unbelief and it keeps me from the promises of God. Faith replaces fear when I pray and I move forward. Faith replaces fear when I pray and I, and I move forward. Listen, they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness when they didn't need to. Notice her confession in verse 11. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. These spies were on a reconnaissance mission, but God was on a redemption mission. <clears throat> God's providence brings together the message with the receiver or the one who's willing to hear it. Do you pray the prayer of Jesus? Do you pray where Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field? Do you consider yourself a laborer? Do you say, God's, God, bring, I have the message. I have the message in my heart and in my mind. God, today, bring to me someone whose heart is open. Do you ever ask that? You can tell that God's doing a work sometimes, and there are many different ways to tell that when you, maybe you say something to someone or you remark or you, you engage someone and they say, that's funny you should say that. <laughs> I was just thinking about spiritual things. Uh, you just never know. Jesus said, before you go into all nations and preach the gospel, he said, pray for the laborers. Do you see yourself as a laborer? Do you, do you, do you believe that in the providence of God that you went to pick up your clothes at the cleaners, but God was on a redemption mission for someone? We believe that everyone is an evangelist. It's one of our core values. We believe we have a divine mandate to love other people and tell them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's be busy about that. Let's not forget that. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. Verse 12, this is some more words. She says, now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother and brothers and sisters and all their families. Here she shows her compassion for her whole family. 
we don't read anything about a husband. Apparently, she doesn't have one. We don't know what happened. But we do know that she has family. And, and listen, listen to me. Listen, listen to me, you online. <laughs> she cared enough to secure the salvation not only of herself, but of her family. She, she, she cared enough to tell others the good news. We'll get to that in just a moment. Verse 15 says this. <clears throat> it says, <clears throat> Then she let down by a rope through the window of her house that was on the city wall. Uh, she dwelt on the wall. Let me just, okay, yeah, I'm good. And she said to them, get to the mountain lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So she basically tells them to go the other way from the way that the soldiers went. <laughs> did I tell you that she lied? She straight lied. Did I, I forget, did I mention she was a prostitute? I mean, okay. I, 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 I want you to feel that. Okay. All right. Um, <clears throat> okay, yeah, verse 17. So, so the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of ours which you have made us swear, unless when we come to the land you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, mother, brothers, and all your father's household to your... Uh, uh, to your own home, uh, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you <clears throat> in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if I tell, if you tell this business of ours, uh, when uh, then we will be free from your oath. Which, which you made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. Oh. Bind this scarlet cord in the window. Scarlet is red. Uh, colored cloth was expensive in those days. I mean, it's not like they had artificial dyes. They had to be super creative, and only the people with money had things like that. So uh, I don't know who's had the scarlet cord. Um, maybe it was something that they, they kept from the days of plundering the Egyptians, but whatever the case, it had to be down the window. So here's what I want to kind of reiterate, is that no matter how sincere... Or, or how much her life may have changed as a result of this encounter, it, uh, uh, no, matter, no matter how um, righteous that she may have felt about herself now, uh, and we don't get that context at all, uh, if she didn't tie the blood-red cord on her window, she would have died. Information was not going to be enough in this case if there was an action tied to the information. 
Her family may have thought this was a great story. Maybe they didn't even, maybe they wouldn't have believed her. Maybe they did believe her, but apparently they did. Uh, They may have seen a change in her. Uh, They may have thought, oh, good for you. Uh, You know, that's nice. Uh, You know, your life has changed now. And, uh, you know, these people are coming to destroy destroy the city. We've heard this before. Who knows? Uh, But they don't think that. Here's my point. If they didn't get into the house, they would have died. Okay? In a very real sense, they had to put their faith in that scarlet thread for their salvation and ultimately put their faith in the God of Israel to believe his word to be true. There was only one way to be saved from the destruction that was soon to come. I want to say it again for emphasis. There was only one way to be saved from the destruction that was going to come. You know what? Let me just say it one more time. There was only one way to be saved from the destruction that was sure to come. And as early as the first century, commentators such as Clement of Rome, Justin Martyr, Arrhenius, Origen, uh, and more saw this scarlet thread as a symbol of Jesus Christ. As a type. Types and shadows you might be familiar with in the Old Testament is something that represented much, much more than just what it was. You read the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. He is a type of Christ because there are so many parallels between what happened in Joseph's life as, and then what happened in, you know, betrayed by his, his brothers, you know, off to Egypt, uh, and on and on and on. There, there, there's 15 of those, if not more, all right? Okay, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. Listen, I love this. She doesn't hesitate. She gets a scarlet cord. They said, put it on the window. Let it roll out. That, therefore, we know. And she goes, I'm do that right now. Right now. She doesn't hella hesitate. And that illustrates her faith uh, that, that she has. So it says this in verse 22. Uh, did we? Oh, we didn't read this, did we? Okay. Uh, it says, They departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but they could not find them. Oh, imagine that. <laughs> oh, you didn't find, y'all didn't find them? Oh, I don't know what happened, man, but I, you know. Okay, well, anyway. Um, so the two men returned, descended from the mountain, crossed over, and they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. <sighs> Joshua says the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands. What a pronouncement of faith. All of it. Jericho, as we'll see, a strategic city, more toward the center of the promised land. It would be easy to move north and south from that. And and whatever military strategy he may have dreamt up, this was a formidable obstacle. And if they could conquer Jericho, they could conquer the rest Confirmation, verse 24, 
And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. We don't read a whole lot about the plan that Joshua has. When we get to the destruction of Jericho, I am pretty sure the plan that God, what God told them to do was not in Joshua's thinking. (laughs) I'm pretty sure of that. But they had the word of the Lord, and Joshua believes we'll get the plan as we go. What's the plan, Joshua? Ho, ho, we're going to cross over the river, which is probably at flood stage by the time we cross over. How are we going to do that? Do you not remember the Red Sea? This is going to be easy, right? And we're going to attack Jericho. How are we going to do that, Joshua? I'll get back to you on that, gentlemen. Dismissed. (laughs) Um, But he has the word of the Lord, and he believes he'll get the plan when he needs it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. Let me just fast forward to the New Testament as we sort of conclude our time here this morning. I give you a false sense that we're almost done. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11. Oh, I'm changing lights. What's, is, that, is that like? They dim the lights. I know I'm done. Like, oh, okay. Hebrews eleven thirty-one. You know, Rahab is mentioned in the New Testament. It's amazing. It's amazing. A pagan... Canaanite, Amorite, prostitute. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, the Canton, Ohio of scriptures, this is the Faith Hall of Fame. That's what it's called, but I believe that there are those that are in the Faith Hall of Fame that we don't even know about. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 31 speaks, verse chapter 11 speaks of the great exploits of those who have gone on before uh, the writer to the book of Hebrews. And it says, it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute. Isn't that funny they call her that? Why you all got to call her? Why you got to keep bringing it up, man? Why you got to call her Rahab the prostitute? Couldn't you just say Rahab? There's a reason it says Rahab the prostitute. you've ever been marginalized, if you've ever had the, the, your value sucked out of you because of your own decisions or because of others, there's a reason that that says what it says. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. For she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. This Canaanite woman makes it into the faith hall of fame. James chapter 2 verse 25, speaking about faith versus works, says this. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot. There you go, my my y'all. Again, it says... Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Faith and works working together to justify that she had a true change. 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 5 talks about the genealogy of the Messiah. And it says, Salmon was the father of Boaz. Y'all know Boaz from the book of Ruth? Are you serious, man? Read the book of Ruth. Boaz. Do you know who his daddy was and who his mama was? The great Boaz, another type of Christ. It says in Matthew 1, 5, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, a Moabitess. This is getting worse. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. How cool is that? This Canaanite prostitute is in the lineage of the Messiah. She's David's, is it great? Great grandmother. King David. <laughs> oh. Few things as we close, for real. No one is beyond God's reach. Can you say amen to that? Sometimes you gotta clap. You just gotta clap. You at home, I see you. Clap. Oh, you don't know how far. You don't know how I live. You don't know who I, oh, I used to, oh, man, oh, no, let me tell you, bro. If I went to your church, blah, 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 oh, we done heard it all, man. We got some people in this church, if you knew their story, you might not come back. <laughs> um, oh, no one is beyond his reach. Secondly, the grace of God shows up where you least expect it. So, church, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Thirdly, who's the central figure of the story? Tell me, who is the central figure of this story that we read today? Who? Rahab. Who else? This side. Jesus, the spies. Yes, God is the central theme of this story. These things were written as an example to us. But God is the central theme of the story and his great love for people. The grace of God, fourthly, through his providence, brings the spies into the one place where there's a heart that's open to salvation. Of all the places they could have gone in this massive city, where do they show up? They show up at the house of a prostitute whose heart is open to God, and she's the only one. Because when they come back, they destroy everyone in the city, with the exception of her and her family. Listen, the Lord will pursue people no matter how far away from Him they seem to be. The Lord will pursue people and yes, he is relentless in his pursuit of his people that he loves. How many of you know and would agree that God was relentless in his pursuit of me? He would not stop because love never stops. And I want to say this again, that Rahab loved others too much to not tell them what was coming. 
get it. Love people too much to not tell them what's coming. Church, that's your job. If you love people, you will tell them the truth about what's coming, no matter how they respond. Lastly, God deals with people based on covenant. God deals with people based on covenant. In the book of Genesis, we have a number of covenants. We have the Edenic, Eden covenant. We have the Adamic covenant. You can read that Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 3 is at the Adamic covenant. The Noahic covenant in Genesis chapter 9. The Abrahamic covenant covenant, which is the first conditional covenant. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse you who who curse you. And your descendants will... That that was a covenant that God made with Abraham and his family. There's the Mosaic covenant, Exodus chapter 19. This was a conditional covenant. God makes all these promises to the people. I'll give you this. I'll do that. If you... But if you don't, then this is what will happen. And that's what happened as they were taken captive. And then there's the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7. And then there's the new covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15 says this. And for this reason, he, Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant. Because every covenant has to have a covenant representative. Or whether it's Moses, or whether it's Adam, or whether it's Noah, or whether it's Abraham, or whether it's King David. Oh, when we get to the New Testament, there's a new covenant. And and we have a covenant representative. His name is Jesus. And Hebrews 9.15 says, and for this reason, he, Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant. He's our covenant representative. And he has to be one of us, which he is, but he also happens to be God. So he represents us and he represents God because he is God. And it says, by means of death, he's that mediator. For the redemption of the transgressors under the first covenant. What's the first covenant? The covenant of Moses, the law that stands against us and levels the playing field because we're all guilty. That those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, For there is one God, yes and amen, and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. One. There's only one. Folks, there are not multiple ways to get to heaven. Who will represent you before a holy, righteous God on the day of judgment? Will your philosophy represent you? Will your religious system represent you? Will your good deeds represent you? Will your hopes represent you? What will represent you? Who will who? God deals with people based on covenant. It's his way. It's unchangeable. Who is your covenant representative? Let me summarize it. It is either Adam or it is Jesus Christ. 
It is either Adam or it is Jesus Christ. There's a covenant term in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament in particular, it's called in, I-N. Those little two letters mean that you are in relationship based on covenant. And it says, for example, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 21, For since by man came, uh, uh, came death, Adam, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22 says, For as in Adam, covenant term, in Adam all die, physically and spiritually. Even so, in Christ all shall be made alive. I, I want to stress this that it, so much that it will move us to action. People are either in Adam or they are in Christ. All who are in Adam will die spiritual death. All who are in Christ will live eternally. Jesus has never lost a client. <laughs> Salvation only comes through the scarlet thread of the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It's God's covenant. I will close this morning for real by telling you that I'm not sure how John Ponder didn't just collapse in gratitude and in emotion when the president pardoned him. Full pardon. It's not that what he did didn't matter. It's not that what he did didn't have some significant consequences in his life and the life of others. No, that's not what that means. It means it happened. And it means he was guilty. But it also means that it has been completely forgiven. You can't vote. You're an ex-felon. Well, I'd like to show you my redemption card signed by the president. Oh, my gosh. Oh. You get that? When you come to Jesus... And you embrace his life and death and resurrection. When you do that, you receive a full pardon. It's not like it never happened. It's not that you aren't guilty. Someone said justification means just as if I never sinned. I hate that definition. Okay, that's maybe a strong word. Because you have sinned. And the beauty of the grace of God is that we're all guilty. But now we have life eternal because of our covenant representative. We are not in Adam. We are in Christ. Now, go tell somebody the good news. Do not be so selfish that you keep it all. How tragic would this story have been if Ruth didn't... Ruth. If, if, what's her name? Rahab, I was going to say Naomi. Wait, I'm stuck. If, if, if Rahab had not told anyone else, 
No, my, my family's been mean to me. My family has treated me bad. No, I'm just, it's going to be about me. No, she told them all. And then it was up to them whether they came into the house or not. She was free from the blood guiltness of their death if she told them. Let that sink in. For you who might be listening, if you've not surrendered your heart to Christ, today is that day. She tied that scarlet thread right there. She didn't know what the future held. All she knew was, um, this is my opportunity. Today is my, I'm not letting it slide by. And she tied that, car, that scarlet thread. And we'll see what happens. Many of you know the story. Don't wait. Why would you wait? Your heart is convicting. Your conscience is convicting you that this is the right thing to do. So, Jesus, we give you all the glory and we give you all the praise and all the honor, O oh God. And we ask, Lord, that you would empower us and embolden us to, like we never have before, in the way that, that you have created us to be, we would go tell other people the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We would not shrink back, regardless of the response. <clears throat> Lord, it's a matter of life and death, eternal life and eternal death. We ask to send the laborers into the field. And we ask, O oh God, that you would move upon the hearts of anyone who hears this message and that your word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would bring conviction. That they would surrender, confess with their mouth, even as Rahab confessed with her mouth and believed in her heart. There'll be a confession, there'll be a repentance, a turning, and there'll be a life everlasting. You're the only one who could have saved her. And God, you knew her address. You knew where she lived. You knew what she had done. But you loved her anyway. Oh, God, may we be the bearers of great news to the prostitute and to the executive. To anyone who comes in our path, and I don't mean to make a value statement by those two, but to anyone who comes in our path, regardless that we would be those who are that herald telling the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen.